Hi, this is Doug Bear with Splunk. I've got to tell you, the Big Data Beard Podcast, with a name like that, how can you not listen? Can't wait to tune in. You're listening to the Big Data Beard. Hey, this is Corey Minton from the Big Data Beard Podcast team. We are on the floor at Splunk Conf 2017 in Washington, D.C. I've got two of my esteemed colleagues from the Big Data Beard Podcast team. Rob Hout, how you doing? I'm, uh, I'm swell. Yeah, swell. you look swell. I- that's <laughs> spelt. <laughs> Kyle Prinz is joining us as well. Hello, how are you? How early do we want to talk about that you got your architect level two? Is that now or let's just go ahead and get it out of the okay. way? Yeah. <laughs> that, way you do, that way you can just be quiet over there. It'll be perfect. <laughs> I'll sit back, <laughs> snooze. Let's get well, this done. we are so excited to have Mr. John Rooney from Splunk joining us today. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This, this is, is wonderful. Yeah, congratulations pretty- on the architect. Thank you very much. I, uh, I I'm apparently a glutton for punishment. I decided to do the final class last week and signed up for 9 a.m. British summer time, which translating that back to Nashville time was a 3 a.m. start of class for a few days. There's no way to live. It, it <laughs> was, stay up was or not go, happy. Or go to sleep before I, I slept uh, and then would uh, get up. So I got about four hours of sleep, get up, do the class. Uh, class ended at 7.30. Workday started at 8. Just enough time for a shower and another cup of coffee. And I should never have done that. Yeah, yeah. Was, we we all tried to talk bright. him out of it, but the, yeah. he is truly a glutton for punishment. Yeah, yeah. it's I, okay. Though. I wanted my button. <laughs> the flare is real, man. <laughs> it's, the need for flare is real. Yep. So, John, do me a favor. We uh, we'd love to know who the heck are you? What do sure. you do? So, uh, so I run product marketing here at Splunk. I have been here at Splunk for five years now. Okay. So this is my sixth conference, which is kind of wacky. It was obviously a much smaller company and a much smaller conference six years ago. Um, so I originally joined the company in 2012 uh, running developer marketing. It was right when Splunk sort of transitioned from being an IT tool to starting to build out some platform capabilities and building out the extensibility with the API layer. And we started launching the SDKs in, in a bunch of different languages. And then we started building um, some of the uh, connections into IDE tools like Eclipse. And we started doing cool stuff with uh, in the .NET ecosystem and doing uh, cool stuff with... Uh, uh, you know, with some of the JavaScript technology. So sort of more on the developer side. Um, over time, I then uh, started doing more on IT, um, sort of some of our IT offerings. So uh, I guess it was two years ago in Vegas when we launched IT Service Intelligence. So that was super great. And then um, sort of this year, I uh, kind of look over all the, the whole portfolio. So IT, security, IoT, and, and business analytics and platform and all, all the good stuff we, uh, we do here at Splunk. Yeah, we uh, we talk about ITSI a lot as yeah. one of those that we <laughs> all of us kind of geek out over. The glass tables feature is yeah. like we actually had a conversation a minute ago with a, a customer of Splunk's uh, at Auto over in yeah. Germany, and they've actually figured out a way to do some VR using virtual reality yeah. to start to visualize data. And we started going, "Oh my goodness! Imagine if you could do glass tables in 3D with VR!" And well, all of our minds exploded. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, especially when you think about um, what still what the state of the art of a lot of kind of user experiences for IT tools. It mm-hmm. still looks like it was written in Visual Basic. It just <laughs> it does feel like, you know, leeches and uh and and sort of primitive bloodless. Yeah. <laughs> Using them feels exactly like leeches. Yeah, if you take anyone outside of IT and like show them like here's what you know, like th- th- you see like what a dashboard's like and people think about what modern SaaS applications are. It's going to look like that and they look at it and it's you know Sad. 
Yeah. It's, it's a like kicking off JCL jobs. Terrible yeah. visualization. <laughs> yeah. So you've been uh, a very busy guy, uh, keynoting almost every day. Or is uh, every well, day? yeah. So we're, uh, we're we're trying to write the story and, 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 and keep things moving and keep people fed and, and hydrated and all that stuff. So uh, earlier mornings than I would have chosen. <laughs> Um, I will say I did spend some time with, uh, with my CMO yesterday trying to convince him to do the late afternoon keynote. Mm. I feel like if we make that a thing, yeah. that's a solid yeah. idea. Isn't that an idea? Keynote, keynote, like happy hour. So I'm just going to put it out there to the whole industry. Yes. Late afternoon keynote. Yeah. Yeah. I really think it speaks to, uh, to, to this crowd a little yeah. bit more. <laughs> you know, you just walk in, have a nice... Yeah, a smooth IPA and uh, and a little keynote. Yeah, because get up, do a couple sessions in the morning, have a lunch, you know, and then have your uh, have your keynote. Maybe mm-hmm. do one or two sessions after that, and then maybe uh, you know go socialize. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. yeah. So from the keynotes, what are the what are the big things that were exciting for you? That's probably consumed a lot of your time. Sure. <laughs> what are the big things that you guys have talked about from the from the main stage? Yeah. Well, so I mean, as a product marketing guy, um, at, the, at the end of the day, I still have a, a big focus on. What are we shipping, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the factories built some cool stuff this year. Um, what are we shipping and how does that fit into our story? Mm-hmm. So a um, couple of things. We shipped a lot of stuff. I mean, we had that one slide with all the things uh, floating out at you. But uh, the important thing is, or, or so the, the two big themes were uh, what we shipped around Splunk Enterprise 7.0 on the platform with metrics and sort of telling that story around scale and sort of what metrics are and why they matter and how they help and sort of what that, what that will enable our customers to do. Um, and then also what we're doing on the machine learning side uh, to make Splunk smarter and more useful for people, particularly with the event analytics capabilities in Splunk IT service intelligence. So that's the idea of take, you know, forget your manual rules engine. Again, thinking about like leeches and Civil War uh, field <laughs> medic stuff yeah. uh, that uh, people slog through today and say, no, make like let's let math. Math will help you with that. Yeah. Yeah. All your data is in Splunk anyway. Train it against it. Have that group your events. Have that get get it down so you have a small, manageable, actionable uh, set of things that you can apply your brain to. Yeah, the event analytics thing, the the, the overlay that yeah. like this thing happened. And here's the correlating event that was yeah with with context. Yeah, right? that blew my mind. Yeah. That, that, I mean, just that alone was awesome. Yeah. So one thing I want to unpack a little bit because I think there was some confusion. <coughs> I think in in what it meant. So sure. you, and what I meant is the metrics thing. Yep. Help me understand what metrics is that's different than what reporting against machine data what we were already doing with logs and splunk what's the the big delta that's 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 happened what all right it's mike i think you guys can take it it's gonna get it might get a little in the weeds uh so basically if you think about uh why splunk exists like where why you know, the origin story of splunk right our founders were it people right and they were they were they were thinking of like what's the canonical problem you have you're, you're a sysadmin or someone, you're, you're, you're running some sort of uh, site or application and something bad happens. Maybe you get uh, a phone call from someone. Maybe you see a 404 error. Maybe you, you know, some, someone like a solar winds tells you something bad happened and you need to figure out what happened. In a world before Splunk, you would have to go in, SSH in a bunch of boxes, maybe zip up some logs, grep through those logs, pull some developer over who, who maybe wrote those logs, say, what does this log even say? And at that point, like you're just burning time, and and uh, you know that that's sort of this you know primitive pre-Splunk world. The 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 sort of design principle around that is you're pulling in all this sort sort of you know Splunk fix that by saying no, don't go and grab it, have it all sitting someplace in one place, streaming in at real time, and then when you know there's an error, you know, base it off time. It's all time based. So if something bad happened at 12:53, what was happening at the database tier? What was happening at the web at, at, at the web? 
uh, a server tier, what was happening on, on, on the network. Um, that's, that type of model is built on the idea of you're not quite sure what question you're going to ask. You may, one question might lead to another question, so you're not quite sure what the structure of the data is. So you kind of have to pull in all of that textual data um, and, and sort through it and parse through it. And there's, there's a compute charge to that, right? Mm-hmm. That's computers yep. working hard doing computer things. Um, uh, in a world with metrics, um, you're moving from investigation to monitoring and then monitoring alerting, right? So if you're looking at an Apache access log or a MySQL log, there may be a metric in there that you know you want to look for and you want to look for that metric all the time. So it's not like I'm, I'm sort of developing my line of questions as I, as I go through my investigation. I know what question I want to ask, and I want to, I want to ask it a lot, right? Okay. And, uh, and then you think about, you know, even in the last 5, 10 years of proliferation of sort of what infrastructure looks like in terms of containers and microservices and all the cool stuff that the kids are doing, like now all of a sudden you have all these other places where you're pulling data from. And so in that situation... You're not. You're not chart. You're not. You don't want to. You don't want to pay a, a tax, a compute tax, to go through and parse through all of that, that text essentially to get that one number out, get that one real number out, and do math on it. That's and and, and then I have to store all that stuff when really all you wanted was that two or n you know n digit number. So all we've done is essentially um, enhance the engine and Splunk to say. We're going to treat logs like logs, and we're going to, and then we're also going to be smart about metrics. You can go and grab that one number that you want to ask all the time, like, "Hey, count this number, count this number, count this number, count this number." When it gets above ten, let me know. And that's really, you know, uh, that's sort of the, uh, you know, sort of simple, simplified Aesop fable version of why <laughs> we're doing metrics. But that's that's it. I mean, and so you think about what that enables on the security side, on the IT service intelligence side. So, you know, we were talking about ITSI earlier, right? Think about that. You're, you know, you build a glass table. Um, uh, gla- I've seen some amazing glass tables uh, in, in, in the last couple of years. And you may get excited and all of a sudden you're building, you're, you know, you have tens of KPIs, which lead to hundreds of KPIs. And now, now all of a sudden that scale, and you're, you're essentially asking that question over and over again, the, met- the metrics engines essentially creates tons and tons of headroom. So it's this, this uh, huge step function in terms of uh, scale and performance. And that's really the, the, the kind of, uh, you know, under the hood story behind it. That's very cool. So help me understand uh, a couple of like real life business use cases where metrics you know, specifically starts to get really interesting. Like, is it maybe a customer that's that's already deployed or that you baited with that had a cool story about how they were going to use it? Sure. I mean, I would say like like uh, like, like ITSI is really you know let's 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 stick with ITSI because that was also a part of the story today. Because that you know if you think about um, what what do you do in ITSI that was different between be- you know in a world before Splunk in a world before Splunk you could go in and you know you knew host source and source types, mm-hmm. um, uh, but a host is a host. It's not a service, right? You could have your service is fine. Like let's say you're running a website and there's a there's a uh, e-commerce there's a there's a shopping cart on it. You may have some server or some database that's that's looking a little RNG in there, but people can still check out of the cart. So your service is good, but your but your host is bad. Um, ITSI allow allowed you to sort of create that that state of saying like, oh, okay, I know that this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, I'm going to draw, right, uh, sorry, podcasters, I'm like doing things with my hands. <laughs> sorry. We all do too. This is bad pod. It's all good, brother. This is bad pod. 
the uh, yeah. So so the notion of you're able to group these things together and logically say, hey, this is a service. I want to know is the service okay, and then the individual components are, are not okay. But I, I don't just because one individual component may not be great, the service might be great. On top of that service, you care about KPIs. What are you looking for? How do you know the service is healthy? Well, in many cases, that's a monitoring use case. You want to go and say, what does you know CPU usage look like? What does average transaction... Again, that's the great thing about ITSI. You could be looking specifically at sort of device-level IT things, or you could be looking at business stuff. Like, Well, you can pull out the specific KPIs and metrics that you actually yeah. care about, right? Instead yeah. of looking at the whole scene. All I care about is um, what does... You know, what do my, you know, you, what do my orders look like on a, on a Wednesday at noon? Hey, all of a sudden, you know, we have something that's anomalous, something right. something that's weird. I want to add, like, you know, pull that metric. So something as as basic like that. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, you have tremendous headroom, and you know, I think we're the bet that we're making in terms of our entire company, but certainly in this area of our product investment is we're not going to level out the amount of data out there, and it's not going to taper back. It's not like you know people are going to ease up on the amount of data that's out there. It's only going to get is is only going to increase. Mm-hmm. So we feel like. Metrics gives us that whole next football field. Yeah, it's more important to have like be able to ha- identify a beacon. Like, yep. And let me yeah. Give so beacons of time. Yeah. So I think about it as like an IoT. I'm curious if sure. it, if you think of it in the IoT oh, yeah. use case. So so go with me on this because I'm I'm curious where does that ability to pull out that metric sit? Does it sit at the forwarder level to where like I can if I have a lightweight forwarder? I'm thinking something like imagine a a wind turbine farm. Sure. And I've got a sensor. Maybe I don't. I don't want to bring all that data back because at scale, when I start to aggregate all those devices, I have yep. a network problem of there's just too much data being created. Yeah. Is there a bill an ability at that IoT sort of at the forwarder level yep. to be able to pick and say I want these metrics being yep. pulled, not the entire thing, so that specifically I can solve that network tax problem too? Yeah, I mean it's similar to what we did uh, several years ago with Splunk Stream, where we, we started you know saying like not you know machine data isn't doesn't just equal 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 logs like you know, wire data is machine data as well. Um, but wire data is chatty. And so people don't necessarily want to pull in all the wire data. Um, you pick and choose. You basically say, nope, I want that one, that one. I'm pointing again. I want a couple <laughs> of things, uh, not all of it. And I want to pull that in to Splunk and have Splunk treat it just like it would, you know, an Apache access log. Mm-hmm. Same thing with metrics. So you pull it in. Yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, and I, I think obviously we want to, you know, we'll continue to innovate in this space. This is... Uh, you know, we, this is the first step in metrics. I think you'll hear about metrics, um, you know, going forward from us and sort of what we're doing in terms of enabling experiences, mm-hmm. both on the user standpoint, but also on the administrator standpoint. So, yeah, so I find it interesting too, cause it helps on the, uh, you were talking about it metrics helps on the compute tax side. Yep. So like, Hey, I don't have to do as much with the compute, but you also made some announcements where not only did you help alleviate some of that, but that there was some performance updates. Oh, yeah. So, so help me understand how to, like, what is the, not totally under covers, but like, what's the, the impact? How did we get to this, uh, this massive improvement in, in Splunk performance that we saw? Again, it just, it just, uh, it, the notion of like going through and parsing, uh, every time parsing, uh, a lengthy text field to pull out a number that you already know about, um, takes time and yeah. it slows stuff down. So if you cut that process out, and you just cut to the chase, that's where you started seeing the stuff that Nate McCurvey, who was demoing on day one, um, saw in, in performance. And it's a weird thing because, you know, as, uh, as sort of the product marketing guy, and we we're looking at like, okay, what, you know, what are we really gaining of this? How do we, how do we tell this story to people in such a way that it makes sense? Um, 
we were like saying, all right, so we're talking about 20% or 20 times faster. And he's like, I'm seeing 200. I'm like, you know, I'm like, slow your roll. I don't want to be that <laughs> you guy. Easy yeah. yeah. numbers. <laughs> um, and he's like, well, I'm going to put it in the keynote and I'm going to show and it's going to be logarithmic. I'm like, all right, that's, you know. <laughs> Easy nerd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just, like, just feel like everyone's going to, like, 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 even I'm like, let's, you know, let's t- temper our whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of, again, the idea of like, what are you, how much work are you asking Splunk to do before versus now? Yeah. And then where are you shifting that work to? So that's, you know, that's, we think about that in all aspects of the platform. Um, we did a lot of work around performance with data model acceleration. So for uh, enterprise security customers, who particularly of a certain size, like two, two terabytes and above, they get massive performance uh, enhancements with that, with that as well. So that sort of sits across, um, you know, kind of the, the portfolio. Um, we, you know, we know, we're only going to get more more data, so we got to make mm-hmm. we got to be more efficient with what we have. We got to keep squeezing efficiency out. So I found that one of the things I thought was maybe most impressive was Nate McCurvey's Rubik's Cube skills. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> and god. And the and the and the gumption to get on stage and do that in front of seventy one hundred people, like yeah. I would freak out. So a couple things about uh, Nate McCurvey. Uh, first of all, he was at one point ranked number of one hundred and fifth in the world. In, he, there's a Rubik's Cube championship in, in Florida, so he's a, he's a ringer. I gotta be honest with you, like it's <laughs> not like we pulled so a guy out of the cloud, uh, out of the crowd. That being said, um, I've seen him like he didn't always stick the landing in rehearsal. So really? the idea that he went out there and just sort of slept, walked through it, like no, 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 it was. I'm yeah, sitting there. It's still impressive. Oh yeah, it's no, but like there, there were. I'm saying, God, maybe thirty five percent of the time he didn't hit, he didn't do it. Really? Yeah. yeah well, that's that's gumption, bro. Yeah. That's like that's yeah. fire in the belly. I, I as soon as he picked it up, though, because I saw him set it up there, and yeah. like when uh, when when uh, was it? Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the v, the leader security leader security who put oh, the USB uh, stick high end in. Song, yeah. High end, yeah. So when high end put that in there, I saw I saw the Rubik's cube, and I went, no, like this is just they just wanted to see it. Just a problem. But as soon as he picked it up, I went. Oh, this dude's a pro. Like you could just the way yeah. his hands were going, I was like, oh. Well, I knew it was as soon as he started looking at it because you know the, the guys who do Rubik's cubes and they look at them a particular way because you're analyzing. Oh yeah, because and, and then they have to. Did you see the world record? Just so total side note, did you see the kid that set the set the world record for Rubik's cube? No, it was something like four point six seconds. That so he literally picked this thing up and then the way they do those the, the competitions is like a, the cube sits on a mat and you have to tap with both hands yeah. to start it, pick it up, put it back down, and slap. And the dude literally picked, like, looked at it, started it, four point six seconds, and then thankfully there was somebody just videoing it because it was just a, some kid in Florida or something, and he just boom. Now it's still slower than the, the robots. There's a dude in Germany who's built a robot that can solve them in less than a second, which is really unfair. You could have just said built a robot, and we could have done the dude in Germany math. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's, a, that's yeah. I see where you're going with that. Yeah. I get it. Uh, you know, so a couple things about that. First of all. Um, What's going on with Florida? Why is Florida churning out champion Rubik's Cube players? Because uh, uh, Nate is a Floridian. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you did say that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, there is something. It's like, you know, like, all the Olympians come from California. All the Rubik's Cube people come from Florida. They, Maybe so. They, I think they should put it on the state flag. I think <laughs> the Florida. Yeah. I think. <laughs> on the sign when he came into the state. Might it's well. retirees, great tennis players, and Rubik's Cube. Yeah. I like it. And the other thing about Nate, and I'm not sure uh, not to make, you know, con- continue to uh, tout his his past glory he may still be the world record record holder for solving rubik's cubes underwater um yeah oh that's That's, true he's either the current or the former uh world record holder for that and um i i I know i'm not terribly well versed 
into the into the world of Rubik's cubes, but I, I guess there are variations on types. There's a five by five or something. I don't know what it yeah, is. Seven oh, by seven. And uh, I used to work with a guy who would do a seven by seven as he was completing his backup jobs. Oh. Where in Florida was he from? Great question. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I actually, question. this is this is funny. So one underwater Rubik's cubing, I think, goes down right next to underwater basket weaving, like yeah. as <laughs> incredible things that I would love to not be good at. Yeah. Uh, no, it's actually funny that you so we kind of went this path. One of the things that has blown, I think, most of us away, so like this is my fourth conf. These guys have been to a couple. The The culture has not, like it doesn't feel like it's wavered. And when you start to look at a company that's just, that was, one, it started out where Splunk has and has yeah. grown to the size you have. I mean, you're in, you're in rarefied air in terms of size as a company. Uh, how is that possible that that the culture has maintained that just that cool, inclusive, community-centered uh, kind of culture? How's that happen? I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is we've grown so fast that we haven't had a chance to do anything different. Like it just, <laughs> it's just sort of like you know, just growth spurts, and you're still you're just wearing floods because you couldn't even go to the store and get new pants. Uh, and some of it is just you know we're really. We're, we're, we're really adamant about that. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I've been at the company now five years. Yeah. So, Which uh, is an old school brother at, yeah. in Splunk terms. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I've seen a lot. Um, and, you know, we're really, we're really adamant about like, okay, there's stuff you can do at a 400-person company that you can't do at a 3,000-person company. Mm -hmm. But let's hold on to all the good stuff and change out all the stuff that doesn't work. So all the stuff that we need to do around sort of scale and growing, all that stuff we want to keep, but all the other stuff that like makes people want to work here, make people want to work with us, make people want to hang out on, on Slack and, and hang out on Answers, we, we really want to hold on to those things. Um, so, so yeah, Nate, I mean, Nate's sort of a guy, he goes back to, uh, I guess he was a user going back to like 2006, and yeah. then he was field person, and now... I uh, hijacked him into my team to do Nate things around Unix Cube. <laughs> well, I, think, I mean, to to that point though, I think the big one of the big reasons that I've seen so far has been like the focus on community. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to a role that sure. you had. So as a developer advocate, for yeah. Splunk, right? Because that's a the developer advocacy roles that I've seen in other yeah. in other companies. Been the, the the focus on community for those people. Yeah. And building community and the amount of time they not pour into the company, but that they pour into their users is is uh, usually fairly impressive. And, I, and I've seen that from Splunk, and I think that's a a yeah. huge part of probably why you're, you I mean are I think I think it's you know this was a lot of the success particularly early on was super grassroots you know it was you know if you think about the you know people would download Splunk they'd have the free license they're like this is great like let me tell a friend and they tell two friends and that was a lot of the uh, that was a lot of the actual um, you know adoptions uh, life cycle but we also um, have stayed pretty maniacally focused on these are the people whose jobs we need to make better yeah. And what they, what they need to do to be successful in their job today versus 10, 12 years ago, obviously, is different. So how, you know, how do we make their lives better and then more people like them and sort of move up but not, you know, not take sort of a tops-down approach? Like, right. good news, your boss's boss's boss bought this software. Um, there's training in two weeks. Good luck. Eat it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I deal with this. Yeah, I've become a huge fan of uh, the Slack channel for the user groups. across. Yeah. And then there's a newbie channel as well. So it's a welcoming environment if you are new to Splunk to be able to get answers. So are they going to oh, swap nice. Slack out for the IRC channel or is IRC sticking around for the Fez hat wearing dudes? Uh, well, I think we've <laughs> largely moved those those guys over to, to Slack. Yeah. Slack is, is sort of uh, the thing uh, on the community side. Um, and then we're still, uh, you know, we still have the answer site, which is great. Um yeah. And um, 
you know, we'll, we'll keep doing more investment there and, um, even getting the additional 14 people into the trust this year. That's incredible. We had to sell more fezes. (laughs) Well, thankfully you're a t-shirt company who happens to make software also. You know, one, one question I actually got asked the other day by the dudes at the cube and I, I hadn't really thought about it this way, but given your background in the developer community and kind of as a platform, they asked me, do you, do you see Splunk as a, as a platform that's going to compete with like the Azure stacks, the open stacks of the world and in terms of a development platform? And I, my opinion was I didn't, I was like, not, maybe not. I felt like those stacks were maybe more for deploying Splunk or Splunk would always exist next to them for the purpose of making sure that they're working. Sure. But I don't know if you have a different opinion about that. I mean, I, I mean, if you think about, you know, whether you're talking about Azure or uh, AWS or kind of traditional cloud uh, uh, providers, I don't see us necessarily getting to a world where we're, you know, renting compute and storage. I don't think that's what we do well. I don't think that's why people come to us. I think, you know, we're really focused on, we do data analytics, we take data, we do stuff to it, we make it useful. That stuff's different than what we did five, six, seven years ago. We're, we're throwing math at it with algorithms and machine learning. We're really focused on sort of use cases on it. But I, I still feel like um, those are partnerships for us and those, those will be part of an ecosystem that whether you're talking about, um, you know, uh, on-premises stuff or, you know, like, well, it's not really where we play. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you, there's something we talked about uh, on, on, the, on the security side as well, because we hear that, like, well, at what point, where does Splunk end and everyone else begin? Um, obviously, we're really thoughtful about that, but we always start with, what are we really good at? We're really good at pulling in stuff that's messy from all over the place, leaving as it is. You know, we're not, you know, we're not ETLing. Like, we're just leaving the data as it is. And making it useful for other stuff. So I don't necessarily think that we're, you know, going to say, oh, this is a starting point, and then we're going to go and 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 decide that we're going to be best in breed on these other functions. I also feel like, whether it's a practitioner or organizations, people have just gotten really smart about best of breed, yeah. you know, and and people want, you know, people want the best orchestration framework. People want the best, uh, you know, endpoint protection. People, you know, and so we want to be able to say, yep, we play with that. Yeah. People, people want the the, the, the the best infrastructure providers. Yeah. So that's us. Hey, yeah. he looked at, he looked at yeah. me when he said that. That was that's awesome. Right, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid to say it. So machine learning is is probably one of those things that we should spend all time on because it's sure. one. It's super cool to talk about it because yeah. everybody does. Yep. All the cool kids are doing it. Um, but tell me, let's talk about the machine learning updates that happened uh, that sure. were announced this week. What are they? Kind of what, where yep. did they come from? And and what are the in, what are the intentions with that? Sure. So uh, the, the, the really kind of three big areas of machine learning uh, stuff that we announced and are now available to the world. First one I, I already mentioned, again, it's the event analytics capability in ITSI. ITSI has always had machine learning capabilities since we launched. Yeah. Um, the first, when we launched two years ago, it kind of did two things. It did anomaly detection, both single and then multivariate anomaly detection. Like, hey, we, 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 see, we have all your data. We know this looks weird from an IT context. And it had dynamic thresholding, which is this idea of saying, okay, this looks like normal behavior for 2 o'clock on a Wednesday, but 2 a.m. on a Sunday, this looks, this looks strange. And you can kind of you know, adjust those things without being necessarily a Berkeley PhD type <laughs> math person. Um, so that's an ITSI. We've added this event analytics capabilities, which is saying you know, the, everything that you were doing um, in, the, in, in the Bronze Age of IT with manual rules engines and, and traps and you know, w- with your event management tools, Let's 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 throw twenty. You know, let's let's throw new technology at that. Let's 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 take a data-driven approach rather than a rules-driven approach, and expect 
uh, to get better results out of that. And that's, that's the event uh, analytics capability there. Um, on, the, um, on the security side, we have the next version of Splunk user behavior analytics, which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's basically a uh, super smart tool that security teams use to help identify in, you know, a threats, advanced threats, mainly insider threats, or largely uh, insider threats in the organization. So somebody did some stuff on a, on a, sh- on a file share and an email that looked weird. Yeah. Let's, let's flag that. Um, and so uh, to go back to this sort of extensibility uh, point, um, usually, you know, that market is pretty well understood to be a black box, right? You buy it, it's, it's almost like an appliance. It's not actually an appliance, but like it's a black box. Um, and we said, you know, we understand that lots of, that's what a lot of customers want to use it for. They want to augment their already strapped security staffs. But there are some customers who are asking us, hey, we'd like to go in and, and tweak the engine. We want to customize it a little bit. So we've opened up uh, an SDK. So uh, if you are uh, a Splunk UBA customer or are interested in being one and you have some Scala skills on hand and you want to get in there and say, I want to customize some of these algorithms to better fit my business, you can do that or you can kind of take it as is. And there's other stuff in there. So that's on the security side. And then on the platform side, um, so both of those are sort of, you know, baked in, sort of, lack of a better term, sort of easy button uh, deployments of, of uh, machine learning for folks that really want to get their hands dirty and sort of want the bare metal. We have the machine learning toolkit, which, which, which runs on top of the platform. And in the new version of the machine learning toolkit, we have, you know, obviously additional algorithms. And then we talked about, again, going back to sort of the, you know, managing the compute charge when you start thinking about huge data sets, mm-hmm. um, Spark integration. So we're, we're, really? we're working on Spark integration to say, like, how to move some of that, that back and forth. And so actually push the process into Spark? Yeah, that's, it's, so it's, it's in a private beta right now. Yeah. So uh, talk to your favorite Splunker if you uh, want kick to the, kick the tires on that. But yeah, I think that's, and that's, I think, you know, that's sort of the, the tip of the iceberg on the stuff we'll be doing there. Yeah, Spark has obviously emerged in the open source community yep. as the processing framework of choice. Yep. Making MapReduce not completely <laughs> irrelevant, but almost. Mostly. Yeah, mostly. But and, and that's one thing, too. I think it's so the machine learning toolkit. Is it still a free app? Yeah, that's, it's free. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, do, do you see more integrations with that open source community coming for sure. you guys in yeah, the future? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's something we'll continue to do. Um, even if you think about the, the metric stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, in, in the integration point, it's you know it integrates with CollectD and StatsD, which is why I mean that's the, the good thing is now uh, it's not ten fifteen years ago where there was sort of this uh, you know snake mongoose thing with with uh, with open source and, and proprietary software like we know like best of breed can be you know in, in many cases is open source like mm-hmm. that's you know and we don't want to there's no reason to recreate the, the wheel like it's it, yeah. it forces organizations and companies and, and people to be like what do we do best. How do we, you know, how do we not, not, uh, you know, put customers or organizations in a weird place where they're they're swapping out sort of different variations of the same thing? So yeah, you're using Collecti and StatsD, go and do that. You know, if you want to, if you already, if you already, if you already have uh, Spark in there as your, you know, as as your intermediary, like let's let's plug that let's plug that in Splunk. Yeah, we're starting to see more and more of the big organizations, folks like Splunk. Yeah, uh, but do this thing called we call it coopetition, right? Where it's like. You know what? You're kind of competitive to me a bit, but I know that for my customers' benefit, right? For the use case yeah. outcome that I want to drive, that they can use, I need to play nice, right? Sure. And we yeah. saw we saw it with um, VMware announcing a bunch of their integrations with AWS now, right? Yeah. So that that's clearly a competition. Dogs thing. and cats. That's exactly yeah. right, man. It's weird. They're playing nice <laughs> in the fence yeah. together. So so in the uh, in the future, uh, are we like is are we going to see like 
you guys partnering up with Cloudera and partnering up with with uh, Hortonworks and getting uh, all cozy? I mean, we've done some partnering <laughs> stuff with Cloudera in the past, and yeah. I think we've done some stuff in that space. Um, yeah. And we still, you know, we still have customers who want to do sort of uh, who have HDFS for certain types of data, and we, you know, we, you know, we've worked with infrastructure partners like 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 yourselves to mm-hmm. think about like, okay, what does that li- what does that whole data lifecycle look like, and what you know, what do you do with all the hot, cold, warm stuff, and what what lives where and when. Um, so I, I, there's nothing that actually precludes us yeah. from from those folks, and um, really, it depends on where our customers are. I mean, we've had we've had sort of Splunk analytics for uh, the Hadoop stack now for several years, and um, you know, for some customers, it's the right thing, and yeah. other folks, it's like yeah, maybe maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So uh, outside of the some machine learning toolkit, big upgrades there. Yeah. What other kind of big picture things were announced at the show that we should uh, that the folks need to be aware of. I think the other big picture thing, so we talked about metrics, we talked about the machine learning stuff and particularly uh, the event analytics and ITSI. The other big picture thing is uh, the idea of um, use case driven solutions, right? Mm-hmm. So Splunk's a platform, you know, certain types of nerds get like me get excited about like platforms and extensibility but nobody, you know, customers, I don't know, people don't want to buy a platform, they want to buy a solution, right? Right. Uh, Partners like platforms because you can build on them, but by and large, you know, you want a specific aspirin for a specific headache. Mm-hmm. And it's great that, that Splunk can do lots of different things, and we just want to make it easier for getting started around specific problems. Yeah. So, you know, we had a solution for ransomware. It's just very targeted, focused on, you know, if you have a ransomware problem, Splunk can help. Splunk can do a bunch of other stuff as well, but let's just focus on the ransomware problem first. Same thing with uh, AWS cloud monitoring, right? So if you're moving some workloads to the cloud, you're feeling like, oh, I, I'm, I'm losing some visibility. I, I want to be able to, you know, look at that, or I, I have some on on on, pra, on in cloud and some on prem, and I want to look at them next to each other. Let's let's start with cloud monitoring. And so I think you'll see more of those things. We have a fraud detection um, solution uh, on the security side that is focused on. Okay, let's say, let's say you're, you're you really want to start with how do I use Splunk for account takeover and financial services, mm-hmm. right? That is a very specific, really powerful use case for folks that, that are in that business. How do we help them get there really fast? So that's the last kind of you know, big bucket of stuff that we announced. And I think you'll, again, continue to see more of that stuff from us. Yeah, I think that's one thing we've seen as being pervasive across like every technology provider in the last couple of years is yeah. that technology for the sake of technology is no longer okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're not in that. We're not in the Bronze Age. Like we, you know, yeah. things, I mean, we even talk about like with Hadoop, when Hadoop first kind of released into the, the open source, it was one of those where people were like, well, we have to have it. Like, we got to have this Hadoop thing. But they had no concept of what they were going to do with it. Yeah. And I think that's why we saw some of those kind of the hype cycle for technology. Sure, yeah. And I think that, I think the solutions focus is awesome. Like, and that's, yeah. I think your story around being everything, like Doug said, customer success is like in every room. Yeah. I think that's a, that's, that's a big deal. Like, and people, I'm guessing that's probably why you're growing so darn fast is because people are actually getting business outcomes. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, because, because otherwise, um, it's, it's hard to explain to Splunk. It's, it's, it's really hard to explain what Splunk does without a customer example in many cases. Right. Um, so we're intrinsically tied to somebody got use out of this, out of what we, what we, what we offer. And, um, how do you, how do you tell that story? But yeah, I think, and also we, we learn a lot from customers. I mean, we basically, a lot of our what we've done with customers, even going back to IT service intelligence, what we did is we looked at customers that were using Splunk for IT for years, what they built, and we're like, okay, how do we let's package that up and make it easier for the next person? So it's a sort of step function. I almost did something with my hands last time. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. So do you have true. a favorite? Uh, do you have like a favorite customer story you've heard this week, or that's a that's a use case thing that that's publicly highlightable? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, I would say, um, let me see. The Dubai one is something, it's just so weird. Yeah. And I, I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Uh, the, the Dubai like Splunk case, weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and especially, and, and uh, Michael Ibbotson, who was the you know the person who spoke on stage, the Gatwick, uh, he came from Gatwick Airport, which is sort of where I think we first came uh, across him, mm-hmm. and that was a really interesting story because it's that notion of things that lead to other things without thinking about it, um, in the sense that um, sh- you know you can tell an IoT story that's focused on the technology and all the sensors and all the and all the, the data endpoints and how they took that information and acted on it but like what problem were they trying to solve or what was their goal and their goal was we want to get people through uh um we want to get everyone through uh or 90 percent of people through customs in five minutes okay they did that and then what what else did that create oh that meant people more spent more money at the airport that's like it was a sort of weird thing of you know the impact of what would normally think is a very sort of tech-centric uh infrastructure way of looking at the world but if you but if you approach it the other way, like, hey, how would you get more people to how how do you get more people to spend time or how do you get uh, people to spend more money at the airport? Um, it, would t- it might take you a while to be like, Splunk, like, <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. duh. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes back to the the how happy is Conf thing that we were talking about earlier, right? So yeah. if I can if I can give people or if I can monitor them somehow or another and know that give them more time, they get through security a lot faster, so they're not angry. Yeah, that was right. so the so the guy from Arrow was talking about with we do we're doing this thing with how happy is Conf where we give out these uh, activity trackers and actually Arrow is so we're doing it with Arrow and what they're doing is basically we're taking the data and it's through this thing called Misfit and Misfit has a, a cloud API that actually allows us to get the data yeah. so we're bringing that into Splunk and we've got a bunch of dashboards built that say hey, here's, you know, here's the people who slept the least. Here's the people who walked the most steps, right? I'm pretty sure I'm on some of the bad boy list. Um, but the, um, but the, the concept there was is that the dude from Arrow, uh, David Fern, who's their CTO for EMEA, he said, I can actually go help Splunk by giving them this data and say, here's maybe some things you should do to improve the conference so that people, if they're healthy, will do things like they'll be remembering what they saw yeah. in sessions. They'll be more effectively consuming what you want them to remember as an organization to go drive your objectives. Because at the end of the day, these things exist so that people can get trained up and use this thing and go expand use cases, right? But that's it. Like, that's the Dubai airport story, which is, it's, it's you don't immediately right. just go, oh, tech. Like, oh, it's going to be Splunk. Like, yeah. you, you, more so, money? Yeah. So is this my, uh, this, is this the data I'm going to need to get the afternoon keynote? This is, yes. the, oh, this yeah, is your partnership. Absolutely. We've gone full circle. We've already got the data. See? That's, that's called <laughs> a callback. Done. I like it, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, that's a perfect segue. What I want to do now, uh, if you don't if you don't mind, John, yeah. I want to actually jump into some quick, uh, we call them the rapid fire questions. Let's do it. We're gonna get uh, we're gonna get a little weird. Let's do it. I'm kidding. Well, it's not too. It's a little weird. Do it. Get All right, weird. First, go. what year do you think Skynet will go online? 2073. 2073. Okay. If you bought me a book, what would it be? Uh, Thomas Pynchon's V. Thomas Pynchon's oh. V. Unpack that for me. I don't know that one. Give me that. The Cliff Notes. Uh, so Thomas Pynchon, um, probably most famous for uh, The Crying of Lot 49, which is the short book that everyone reads. And they're like, wow, that was really weird. Um, <laughs> but then he won the National Book Award in 73 for, um, uh, for, for Gravity's Rainbow. Okay. And he's sort of an interesting guy, sort of postmodern American writer. Uh, super, I, I think he's still alive. Like his only appearance over the last 15 years is he was on The Simpsons yeah. as he's a voice. A, he's a hermit. He's a, yeah, he's, a, he's, he's hermetic. Um, <laughs> But uh, he started out his career as a tech writer at Boeing. Huh. And uh, the Gravity's Rainbow, that's a reference to the German V-missile. So he's, he has a physics and engineering background. And uh, he, uh, so if you ever want to feel terrible about yourself, which I need to do a lot, 
um, he wrote his first novel while he was like kind of at night or whatever while he was a tech writer at Boeing in the 50s I guess Ooh. and uh, and he wrote it by the age 25 and it's this book V which uh, will change your life and I just want to change your life oh dude I love it okay yeah. uh, this should be interesting based on your previous answer what genre of music are you currently rocking um, so I, I'm, I'm sort of in two places okay um, I feel like I've aged into ambient music in a way that I, I'm kind of comfortable with yeah <laughs> Like, you know, folks like, like Lossel. I don't know if you know Lossel. He's on the Cranky label. Okay. Um, so do, listen to a lot of ambient music, which is great. And it's, it's kind of it's sort of like the, you know, when you go from, like when you age into a sport jacket and like I've gone from indie rock to ambient music, but it's still kind of there. <laughs> yeah. like, um, and then on the flip side of it, I sort of feel like we're now, it's now been 40 some odd, it's close to 45 years we need to come to terms with Miles Davis's electric period. And it's not just bitches brew. I'm talking about his <laughs> 70s stuff. Yeah. Um, when he would play horn and play keyboard. So I'm thinking about the big fun record, Pangea record. He did a lot of live stuff in Japan. Um, and here's, it's, it's, it is, if you want to know what the future sounds like, it doesn't sound like techno. It sounds like Miles Davis in 1973. Really? And, um, and I, I'll give you this as an, as an endorsement. Um, Winston Marsalis hates it. <laughs> so when I can Ken, see that when Ken, Bur when Ken Burns did his jazz documentary, they talked about Miles Davis, and he was so dismissive of, of this of that last period. And I was just like, "We're going to talk about kind of blue, yeah, and, yeah, yeah we're kind not of blue." And then and yeah. then basically, bitches brew was kind of interesting for rock guys, and they went away. And then and then and then Miles Davis basically said, "I want to somehow marry uh, everything I was doing with acid rock with James Brown. Oh, and I want to do it a thousand years in the future." <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the future, folks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what is your favorite piece of utterly useless tech? Uh, well, I feel like um, utterly useless tech. <laughs> Just something that you bought that you're like, this is cool, but it's so dumb. Like, I, mean, I don't need this. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't see you wearing an Apple Watch, so that's an endorsement that that's not useless kyle and i need justification to go get one i haven't aged into jewelry very much so yeah that's still still waiting on that um utterly useless tech uh i i still have a cassette player <laughs> i love it yeah that's great did you see that those uh started to rise back after um what was the superhero movie that uh chris pratt was oh, in? oh guardians, guardians of the galaxy, galaxy. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. All on the, ebay they increased like 700 percent. all the cool millennial indie rock kids they, they put out their their first stuff on on cassette now does that mean is my really? player will come back and uh, someday tape is the new vinyl yeah yeah <laughs> tape is the new vinyl you heard it, it here sounds for... terrible it does yeah I was about to say, that's and not it doesn't really last fair. very long yeah. yeah and it's off don't live in your car in alabama i just think we skipped over the eight track yeah bring that bad boy back yeah. talk about a form that's dead what is your biggest personal money pit right now my biggest personal money pit well i moved to san francisco recently from seattle <laughs> done so yeah <laughs> living it's called life existing <laughs> that's eating. the one place you can go to from seattle that is more expensive yeah that's uh I, tokyo i guess well that's true Singapore. in the u.s yeah yeah i just yeah. moved to seattle so i've now i've gone from the midwest to seattle so i've yeah, I moved from Austin to Seattle, and uh, I felt like I was in Blade Runner. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you uh, are you going anywhere interesting in the near future? Am I going anywhere interesting in the near future? Um, I'm gonna go see some co customers in Milwaukee, and in Milwaukee on the Riverwalk, there is a statue 
of Henry Winkler as Fonzie. Mm, yep. Yeah. It is pretty. It is pretty. It's pretty so the answer is yes. Yes. So <laughs> while you're in Milwaukee, drink a uh, spotted cow. I will drink a from spotted cow. New Glarus Brewing. It's a delightful beer. One I'll of my do favorites. That. All right, and then uh, let's see. What show are you binging on or you find exceptionally binge-worthy? Um, I feel like it didn't get a lot of play, but I, th- I feel like The Young Pope was yeah. uh, oh, one of the best shows, if not the best show I've seen in the last decade. No kidding. Okay. It was Law so was... beautifully shot. Yeah. And, and it, it did that kind of Sofia Coppola uh, juxtaposition of like anachronistic music or sort of, I guess it was, but like he's like walking through... Um, walking through St. Peter's and like Daft Punk is playing. Uh, so just, just really cool stuff like that. And it's, it's so beautiful. Like basically if you could take every, you take, take a random number generator and just take frames, random frames throughout that show and turn them into prints, you'd sell a lot of prints. So beautifully shot. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Well, John, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, we, John. uh, we appreciate it. Next time we see you, we hope you're uh, rocking a big data beard. But, uh, boys, thank you so much for the time. John, have an awesome, uh, well, the show's almost over. So have safe travels back to your expensive home in San Francisco. I will do my best. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thanks. Thank okay. you.